Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, traders. Welcome to the 80th episode of the Performante Podcast on February 22nd, the second month of 2022. All the twos in the name. We got a spicy podcast coming at you. We have news stories from across the cryptosphere as well as the geopolitical, uh, I guess you call it situation, currently ongoing with uh, dominating world powers. And so we are doing this one from the PCC Metaverse. If you are watching this on YouTube, you will be able to see both me and Keith's digital avatars presenting this episode from us to you. And if you have any feedback about the studio room or any insight on how we can make this a better experience, please let us know. And so just to uh, jump right into the first episode, I'll pass it on over to Keith to talk about tourism in El Salvador. So... After El Salvador has officially made BTC a legal tender back in September of 2021, we've seen the GDP, the gross domestic product, go up, but also the local tourism in El Salvador. So we do see some positives, not only through the GDP, but also I'm sure people are going there. And maybe it's like news reporters, maybe it's people trying to understand what a Bitcoin as a legal tender looks like in a country. But seeing the positive growth in both the tourism, which is a large driver of overall GDP for many countries, as well as just the GDP in general increasing, is very positive. And it does create a situation where I'm sure other countries are looking at El Salvador and thinking maybe we should potentially add BTC as a legal tender as well. Um, since they were actually incorporated into crypto and kind of got the name as the first country to have BTC as the legal tender. They've been, let's say, in a pretty rocky situation sometimes where they haven't really made a tremendous amount of profit from when they entered. But I think over time, over the years, it will present itself to be an extremely good opportunity that, it that they took advantage of during the September run of 2021. So pretty interesting news there. Next thing that we're gonna be going over Big Ray Dalio, Daddy Dalio, he has moved up the allocation of Bitcoin from the initial 1% of a portfolio to now a 2%. So it might not sound like a lot, only 1%, but if you look at it in terms of the amount it's actually moving, the amount that a portfolio should be allocating to Bitcoin basically doubled, right? From 1% to 2%. So if you're looking at it from just in terms of like the dollar value, it is a substantial increase, but from a percentage point, 2% isn't a tremendous amount, but you got to look at what he's investing in and you got to look at the fund that he manages, which is the largest hedge fund in the world. Yeah, when Daddy Dalio speaks, the investing world listens. He has been getting into both Bitcoin and Ethereum within the last 12 months, but to see that 2% allocation when the man's working with hundreds of billions of dollars is quite the commemoration for Bitcoin. And so it is nice seeing this kind of institutional support grow within the space and seeing the big names allocating big money to this invasive asset. So obviously, I think most people who have been active on crypto Twitter or following our TikTok or just staying active in the space knows about the the Freedom Rally up in Canada in the Great White North. This is definitely the highest degree of civil unease that we've had within Canada for a very long time. And it's really caught on to an amalgamation of different people with different viewpoints, whether it be anti-max, anti-mask, anti anti-anti-freedom, I guess you could say, and uh, kind of the overall conglomeration of people, it did turn a little bit salty, I guess you could say, and the Canadian government enacted the Emergencies Act. 
That is the first time it's ever been used, including world wars, if I do recall. And so this gives the government extreme authority, including and not limited to freezing assets of people involved in the Freedom Rally. And so their bank accounts have been frozen. And I think there has been some asset seizures for some of the more uh, maleficent protesters. But Nunchuck, a Canadian Bitcoin company, produces a non-custodial wallet, so they don't manage Bitcoin for anyone. They just create the software so people can get a Bitcoin wallet that they host themselves. Now, these people had a sassy, uh, sassy reply to the Ontario Superior Court of Justice. And just to read out the quote here, we do not collect any user identification beyond email addresses. We also do not hold any private keys. Therefore, we cannot freeze, in quotation marks, our users' assets. We cannot, in quotation marks, prevent them from being moved. We do not have knowledge of the existence, nature, value, and location of users' assets. This is by design. And I understand that it's meant to be as legal of a professional reply as possible. And it totally hit all the fair points. But at the same time, using the quotation marks was like the perfect clapback <laughs> to the Canadian Supreme Court of Justice and really advocates for the entire ideology of being bankless, representing your own capital, and transacting how you want. Yeah, it's pretty funny how little uh, regulators still understand how blockchain and crypto works. So kind of shed some light and transparency as to like how they think non-custodial or even just like blockchain as a whole um, really functions. So kind of funny, but um, it's a pretty difficult situation for a lot of people who are trying to fight for their freedoms, but obviously... Um, there's some backlash going, so it's a pretty tricky situation to manage for sure. Moving on to the next story, we're going to be talking about OpenSea, the NFT marketplace on Ethereum. It is by far the largest in terms of not only popularity, but also trading volume. But they are now investigating what they think is a phishing attack. Um, and what a phishing attack is, is basically scammers or bad actors send emails pretending to be OpenSea and then... They try to make it look as real as possible, providing a link that looks very similar as the URL that OpenSea has. And if you click on the link and if you take some actions, they could get a hold of your wallet and the content of your wallet, and then they could liquidate your NFTs. So it's a really, really uh, bad position to be in, to really put it short. And they haven't really definitively stated how this kind of situation came to be but they are saying that they are actively investigating rumors right now for the smart contract uh, hack that really happened on saturday night uh, us hours so it's pretty crazy they said that this appears to be a phishing attack originated outside of OpenSea's website and do not click anything that is outside of the OpenSea.io domain that they hold yeah, I mean, scary times. We've seen so many NFT phishing hacks recently that you really got to be on your your P's and Q's to ensure you maintain your expensive JPEGs. The one thing that kind of I thought was a bit fishy is how they fish the email addresses. I don't really think that their email addresses are listed on your OpenSea profile because you do have to make uh, associate with an email address when you are buying and selling for email notifications. And so that, I guess that's my biggest question is how were these OpenSea, OpenSea emails leaked? Uh, they said it was during contract A to contract B, but honestly a just as effective approach would have been using the ledger email base 
and just assuming that the people who own the ledger had OpenSea accounts. They really haven't shared that much information, and I think that's one of the primary chief complaints from the community, is like people had Bored Apes stolen, they had Cool Cats taken, Doodles gone, and uh, I feel like there really hasn't been that much light shed other than, hey look, it wasn't a hack, it was a phishing. They're basically, it seems like, just washing their hands and saying sucks to suck. There are some lawsuits about this, because I think one person lost like 10 Bored Apes or something crazy like that. Ouch, that's gotta hurt. And uh, I guess kind of in the same note, when we're talking about digital ownership, like in the Nunchuck story with the Canadian Supreme Government, or we're talking about OpenSea, which doesn't own your assets, but they do own the bridge to operate your assets on their platform. Kraken's CEO, Kraken is arguably one of the largest exchanges for servicing institutional members for OTC transactions. And their CEO is called Jesse Powell. And he recently tweeted, if you're worried about your assets being frozen, don't keep your funds with any centralized or regulated custodian. We cannot protect you, cash out, and only trade peer-to-peer. -peer. And I think that really echoes because we, I mean, we're seeing the enactment of the Emergency Act in Canada where people's financials are being strictly limited based on their behavior. Which, okay, yeah, sure. Extreme example of power by the government, but that really is the bottleneck of the centralized platforms. And I really do not think that a platform like Binance being forced to execute that level of authority is that far out of the question. Mm -hmm. I mean, these exchanges are just looking to be compliant with the government and what the government wants. And at the end of the day, if you want that true self-capital representation and be free of these banks and others that can block a transaction or prevent you from accessing your money, host everything privately. Be your own bank, become bankless, because that is the only way to protect yourself from these centralized platforms. At the end of the day, it's like the compliance space race. We're seeing all these platforms like Binance, like Kraken, like FTX, play along with lawmakers as well as they can but that also means playing along with lawmakers regardless of what the lawmakers want because at the end of the day they just want customers and so really trying to adopt that bankless mindset where you self-represent yourself is a really good idea heading into such a time of geopolitical uncertainty yeah extremely well said so talking about geopolitical uncertainty, the next topic we're going to be going on is the the Russian-Ukraine situation. There's actually two uh, sub-stories within the main one. We'll first talk a little bit of the positives, the Bitcoin adoption, and then we'll get into the more serious stuff, talking about Putin's demands. But firstly, we just want to go over how the Russian ministry is pushing to legalize Bitcoin mining in some areas, which just in terms of the Bitcoin adoption, is a positive thing. The Ministry of Economic Development for Russia believes that mining should be allowed where energy is abundant. And this is really mirroring what Putin stated a little bit earlier on. And we already see this trend in really countries, not all countries around the world, but a lot of countries, I do know that a lot of uh, the US for the energy producing companies are utilizing the excess energy to mine BTC. So that's really great to see. And it kind of makes sense logically if you're from if you're coming from a business standpoint because that is complete waste as long as you set up the infrastructure to actually have the ability to mine BTC with that excess energy there's no real downside because you're just wasting that energy anyways so some positive news for the adoption side of things but hopefully everyone is aware of the situation happening with Russia and Ukraine there is a tremendous I don't exactly know but there's a tremendous amount of troops right on the border of Ukraine 
on the side of Russia, and Putin has three major demands that are quite scary. The first one is for NATO to stop expanding, and NATO's a collection of countries mainly in the Northern Hemisphere in Europe and North America, and they're collectively just kind of looking out for each other and making sure things don't get too crazy. And he's stating that no new countries can enter NATO, so that's not really great. Second demand for Putin or from Putin is for troops to leave Eastern Europe. So obviously a pretty scary thing. And the final demand from Putin out of the three is the U.S. won't protect Eastern European allies. So just from the three demands, it really seems like he's trying to set up a situation where he has more control. He's trying to disperse NATO and divide countries. And it's a pretty common trait for dictators and uh, geopolitical leaders to divide and conquer and that seems like this is the play that Putin's taking as well to divide NATO or at least try to stop new countries from entering it and then conquer Ukraine wherever else if US is not going to protect those eastern countries or eastern allies so some pretty scary things within the global markets from the global macro perspective and we have been talking about it within our discord keeping everyone informed markets don't look fantastic right now but um i don't think anyone really knows what's inside putin's mind and where he could kind of potentially go from here yeah we are seeing the invasion of the ukraine separatist states with russia which is kind of like allowing them to set up within their borders honestly kind of similar to how cuba was being used in the cold war I mean, me and Keith were both born in 1996, so we haven't really experienced or firsthand seen this level of, I would say, geopolitical conflict. Okay, 9-11, but at the end of the day, that wasn't, I mean, I guess it was as severe of conflict, but this is like multiple countries, everyone's got a stake in it. China's come out and said like, oh, it's special conditions, everyone else in NATO's freaking out economies in the shitter we are seeing massive levels of geopolitical uncertainty and in all honesty i think bitcoin is holding up pretty well nobody knows exactly what the future is going to hold uh what kind of games putin will get up to and how the west will respond but this is a very uncertain time from the financial point from the political standpoint and at the end of the day i don't think anyone can tell you what will happen next with certainty in fact, I can guarantee you nobody knows what happened, what will happen next with certainty, and we're really just reacting to it on a day-by-day -day basis. Honestly, it sounds bad, but this is the kind of shit that will be in like books and movies down the road, how this how the fallout from this settled and impact the geopolitical climate. And uh, I recently read Why Nations Succeed and Fail by Ray Dalio. Just talked about him earlier in the episode. Big fans of his work. Mm -hmm. And uh, this most recent book was very eye-opening because it was released in November 2021. And it honestly predicted a lot of a lot of specific actions that countries were going to do in terms of economic sanctions specific countries and who they were going to support and has honestly forecasted this geopolitical climate that we're experiencing now very well to the point where i'm like yo what what exactly does ray dalio know i think he knows something that we don't based on just how well he's predicted the current geopolitical disdain amongst different western countries yeah. and so 
On uh, that note, I think it is a great place to finish the 79th episode from the PCC Metaverse Digital HQ. As always, Nathan and Keith delivering this. Hope you are staying safe wherever you may be. The less you watch the news, the happier you'll be. Stay safe. Take care, everyone.